Hi friends, this is Brian Griffiths for Brad the Banker. Our friend Brad Roars is a conservative who wants to work with conservatives. He does home purchases, loans, refinances, rehab loans, VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loans. He does this working with Howard Bank, Red Maryland's banker of choice and the place that we do all of our business. As I said, Brad Roars is a good conservative who wants to make sure that fellow conservatives like him can get good loans, good financing, and save some money. If you want to get in contact with him, visit bradthebanker.com or call him directly at 443-876-2846. Again, that's bradthebanker.com or 443-876-2846. Bradley Roars, a banker who wants to help conservatives get into the home of their dreams and save a few dollars. You won't be disappointed. It's time for the Air Raid. Here's your host, Brian Griffiths. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Air Raid here on the Red Maryland Network. It is Sunday, February the 10th, 2019. Hope you and yours are having a fantastic weekend. This week's episode of the Air Raid is actually going to focus on baseball believe it or not. And the first thing we do want to start off with, of course, is the fact that uh, recognizing the passing of Frank Robinson, who died last week. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, Frank Robinson played for the Orioles from 1966 to 1970. He came over in what can best be described as a steal of a trade from the Cincinnati Reds, where the Reds traded Frank Robinson to the Orioles, who was a, quote, old 30 and Frank Robinson is basically the reason the Orioles had a winning franchise from 1966, basically through 1983, really, if you really want to think about it, uh, just based on the fact that he led the Orioles to the World Series in 1966, won the American League Triple Crown that year, American League MVP. You know, even though he was only an Oriole for five years as a player, he definitely taught the team how to win and got them over the hump for a team that had only been in town for 12 years after moving from St. Louis. Uh, he definitely was somebody who helped the Orioles become what they are today. And that, of course, is something that's very important. And um, we, of course, recognize his passing. He also, of course, as you probably may or may not know, he was also the first African-American manager, not only of the Orioles, but in all of Major League Baseball. He actually has the distinction of being the first African-American to manage in both the American League and the National League. He was hired as player-manager of the Cleveland Indians from 1974 uh, to 1977, and then also wound up managing the San Francisco Giants uh, in the National League as well. And then after he left the Orioles, he wound up 
Uh, he wound up managing the Expos and then, of course, was the first manager of the Washington Nationals, that Mickey Mouse operation down in D.C. So we certainly recognize Frank Robinson for his contributions to the Orioles, his contributions to our city, uh, and his contributions to baseball, one of the best to ever lace up a pair of cleats, uh, quite frankly. So um, we salute you, Frank, and uh, we, I know that you will be, you'll be missed by many. But this show, of course, as I mentioned, is about baseball, and it's certainly not about the Orioles. I think we've already established that the Orioles are not going to be very good this year. Um, you know, for those of you who have been paying attention to the existence of the Red Maryland Network, you know I've always been super optimistic about the Orioles. And between 2012 and 2016, there was always good reason to be optimistic about the Orioles. Of course, last year I was optimistic about the Orioles, thought they were going to be a wildcard team. And you see what happened there. The worst team in baseball, the worst team in franchise history, the fifth worst record in baseball history in the modern era. So I'm, I will preface this. I will say that the Orioles will be a better team in 2019 than they were in 2018, but even if they win 15 more games than they did last year, they would still lose 100 games and finish in last place in the American League. But that's still not what I'm here to talk about today. Here, What I'm going to talk about here today is the fact that baseball is continuing to try to mess with the game. And their insistence on messing with the game kind of goes to a broader cultural context. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, baseball is considering a whole series of rule changes. Some of them, one of which was already implemented, some of them don't matter all that much. They've changed the disabled list. After decades of calling it the disabled list, they're now calling it the injured list. And, okay, whatever, that doesn't really bother me, doesn't really affect me all particularly much. But some of the rules changes that they're actually talking about are significant. And they are significant in the way they would change the dynamic. Some of them are ones that you've heard about for a long time. Once again, the conversation is entering the picture about changing the designated hitter rule and making the designated hitter uh, something that happens in both leagues. The National League, of course, has not used the designated hitter. The American League has used it for 45 years. Still, one of the more interesting things um, was uh, the fact that the designated hitter was first proposed in 1928 by the owners of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so they proposed to use it in the National League, and, and they, they almost went with it, and they decided not to do it. The funny thing about that, too, by the way, is the fact that in 1928, the Cardinals thought that they would never be able to match the success of the St. Louis Browns in, in St. Louis. So the St. Louis Cardinals tried to move to Baltimore, which is only, of course, funny when you remember that 25 years later, the Browns left St. Louis for Baltimore because the Cardinals had become the team that St. Louis rallied behind and, and the one that was the, the first and foremost team in the minds of St. Louis residents and those in the surrounding environs. But that's not the only rule that's being, being potentially uh, proposed. They're talking about pitch clocks. They're talking about a 20-second pitch clock uh, between pitches, and um, that would force a, a, play, a pitcher to, to throw within 20 seconds or be charged with a ball which, of course, will artificially speed up the game. They're also talking about banning shifts and making it so uh, that, a, that 
infielders and outfielders have to be in certain designated areas um, when they play, so that you so that hole hitters in particular would would have a better chance of getting a base hit. They've also talked about three batter minimums, uh, requiring that a pitcher who comes into the game would have to face a minimum of three batters unless they get injured, um, and that they would have to you know have three batters face before they come out in the game, no matter how good, no matter bad they are, which of course would significantly curtail the ability for, you know, particularly one out guys, left-handed um, loogies, they call them left-handed one out guys. And, and again, all in the name of speeding up the game. There have also talked about new roster rules that require, uh, it would require 28. Um, they would allow to carry 26 players but limit the number of pitchers that you could carry, say, I think, to 12 pitchers. And after September call-ups, they would have a 40-man taxi squad, and you can only designate 28 players to play in a particular game, but you would not be able to mix and match um, the pitchers, and you'd have to leave the starting pitchers on the roster. And on top of it, they've talked about a rule, and using at the very least in spring training and the All-Star game, saying that a runner would start on second base automatically in extra innings, so that there would always be a runner on to start extra innings. And all of this in the name of speeding up the game. Now, some of these make some sense, okay? Um, The rule about, like I said, the rule about the disabled list vis-a-vis the injured list, whatever, I don't really care all that much. The rule regarding... um, the rule regarding roster rules in September does make a little bit of sense. Buck Showalter, when he was the manager of the Orioles, had talked a lot about trying to um, stop gaming the roster rules, you know, because you had 40 guys playing in September, so you'd have 10, 12 pitching changes in a game and all these substitutions, and it turned into a giant mess. The big issue, of course, is the fact that you have all these other things. When you talk about shifts and you talk about minimum numbers of hitters that you can face, and you start talking about um, putting runners on base and the designated hitter rule and stuff like that, that's where you start losing, man. I'm, I'm the one who's saying... No, 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 no. Because, I mean, realistically, at that point, you are changing the very nature of the game. The thing that problem that baseball has is the fact that baseball continues to want to change its rules in a manner to, quote, speed up the game. Like, they think that speeding up the game is going to bring in more fans, going to keep the attention of the casual fan. Never mind the fact that the the fans who are paying their, you know, their hard-earned money to go to baseball games or are paying extra for baseball packages will be instantly turned off by some of these rule changes. The rule changes that the commissioner of baseball, um, Manfred, is proposing now these rule changes drastically alter the nature of the game. One that I forgot to mention um, was they had talked about lowering the mound uh, by a couple of inches. Now, that's the, the, the height of the mound has not been sacrosanct in baseball history. The mound was actually 15 inches tall prior to 1969, uh, and then the year of the pitcher in 1968. They uh, they lowered the mound to make it harder for pitchers to get the, the edge up on hitters. 1968 was the year Bob Gibson led the National League with a 1.12 ERA. It was the year that Denny McLean, the last pitcher to win 30 games in a season, went 31-6 and for the Tigers. It was the year that um, 
It was the year that Carl Yastrzemski won the American League batting title by being the only American League hitter to hit over 300 that year. He hit 301. So you get baseball, and and that's that's okay. They can lowering the mound. That's not a big deal. But they've talked about extending the mound and making it farther away from home plate. Now, just for a point of reference here, home plate has not uh, the the pitching mound has not moved in its distance from home plate since 1893. 1893. Now, as I mentioned, some of the rule changes that baseball is talking about, they're doing it in a manner uh, to speed up the game. Ironically, some of them are also in order to create more offense. If they move, if they lower the mound, or they move the pitcher's mound, or they are they tinker with the strike zone, something else they're talking about. The idea is to put more offense in the game to make it more accessible, more interesting to the casual fan. Never mind the fact that hardcore baseball fans like myself would much rather watch a one nothing 2 to one pitcher's duel than they would a game that ends 15-13. to You know, some of these, and don't get me wrong, those games are fun from time to time, but I'd much rather watch a well-pitched, well-defensed game where the hitters getting hits are, are skilled rather than, you know, some of these bonkers basketball game scores that you see from time to time. And don't get me wrong, the Orioles were on a lot of wrong ends of those games. One of the games that we saw in Texas last year, the Orioles were losing, you know, they gave up 13 runs in the first three innings of the game. Don't get me wrong, that is not fun to be on the the business end, particularly when you are uh, in a home team, in the other team's stadium, watching it happen, and their home fans are all giddy. Not that the Texas fans were bad or anything like that, but... You drive that far to see a baseball game and your team sucks. It's not all that great. The point being, though, is the fact that baseball continues to tinker with what's worked. Major League Baseball had its highest revenue year in 2018. You would think, by the way baseball wants to change for the sake of change, you would think they were losing money hand over fist when that's just not true. Other sports do change their rules from time to time. But they don't change the fundamental nature of the sport itself. When football changes how they interpret pass interference, or they change how even the rules regarding replay, which of course is going to be discussed after the debacle in the NFC Championship game, or when NASCAR changes their um, changes the the package, the transmission package that they use in um, you know, in how they build their cars, that doesn't fundamentally change the nature of the sport. And what baseball is doing, particularly as it relates to putting runners on base or requiring a certain number of pitchers or how a player can can shift on the field, even the implementation of the universal DH fundamentally changes the nature of the sport. Now, baseball's got other problems, too, okay? And I think those are ones that are greater uh, that, that are going to be harder to deal with than these cosmetic changes that alter the that tremendously alter the how the game is played. Baseball is looking at a labor stoppage in 2021. And a lot of these changes are probably there to partially distract the players' union away from the real real issues that they have that are going to come to the head in 2021. You see, the Major League Baseball Players Association is very concerned because there are players who are not, quote, getting their worth. Um, 
you know, they're concerned that everybody thought that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were going to get 10-year, $300 million contracts. And here we are on February 10th, the week that pitchers and catchers report for most teams, and they're still unsigned. There are other concerns. There's concerns that there's been collusion, quote-unquote, amongst the owners to not sign high-priced free agents. Now, this this has happened before. Um, this is uh, this was something that happened in 1986. The teams wound up having to pay millions of dollars out to the Players Association to um, to settle these collusion claims. But the fact is, is that the players think that they are not getting the money that they are in fact deserved. Are they? That's for you to decide. It seems to me that the owners have realized that there's a way that they can economically benefit by not signing high-priced free agents. Some of the teams that have been most successful in recent years are ones that have built around the draft and built around lower-priced talent, a la the Houston Astros, a la the Tampa Bay Rays, a la the Oakland Athletics. You can't buy your way to a championship anymore. Just ask the New York Yankees, who have not been to the World Series in 10 years. Sure, the Red Sox have a lot of high-priced guys on their team, but they've still managed to build their team through the draft and through trades. And not they, they have added pieces to their team. They haven't gone out and bought a championship team, even though they have some one of the highest payrolls in baseball. The problem is, is the fact that Major League Baseball is set up in a way that penalizes teams for paying for their talent. There are, there's such a thing called the luxury tax, which a team has to pay um, 75 cents on the dollar for every dollar they go over the luxury tax. And depending on how long they've been over the luxury tax, they, have, uh, they may have to pay more money. And you have other things in place which are, yes, artificially limiting the ability for teams to, to get a lot of salary. Baseball, Major League Baseball, the commissioner of baseball, is trying to gloss over the issues that they are going to have with the players' union in two years. That's not to say the players' union is in the right here. The fact is is that, at this point, the mark has established that the players are not worth the money they think they're worth, and that the owners are trying to set a different market and are willing to pay them, don't get me wrong, hundreds of millions of dollars still, in order to apply their wares to their team. Patrick Corbin still got a six-year contract in the neighborhood of $140 million from the Washington Nationals this year, probably a contract he doesn't necessarily deserve. There are still teams that are willing to pay for talent. The fact, though, is the fact that these players think that they are not getting contracts that are at their fair market value. And you know what? The problem with that is not with the owners. The problem is because the players think that they should get more money than that they're willing to signed for. The players think that this is some sort of existential crisis on the game, but it's really not. It's a market correction. After years of guys getting contracts they probably didn't deserve, owners are realizing that maybe maybe it's not the best idea in the world to sign a guy for 10 years. Just ask the Angels who signed Albert Pujols to a 10-year, 200-and-some million-dollar contract and is basically you know, paying him to be a extra DH at this point, you know, with years left on his contract. The same with Miguel Cabrera in Detroit. How does all of this relate to culture, society at large? Right now, we're living in a society that wants to change things for the sake of changing things. We're living in a society that wants to fundamentally change the nature of humanity, that wants to fundamentally change how our society interacts with each other. Some of that's on the margins. 
Some of that is in how we define things, like gender or marriage. Some of that ends in who gets rights and who doesn't get rights. You ever notice that the right of free speech and the freedom of religion to Christians is not quite what it used to be? And some of it relates to how government works in general. If anybody saw or anybody got a chance to read that ridiculous Green New Deal that Ocasio-Cortez put out, that's talking about not just changing fundamentally society, but reordering society. So yeah, what baseball is doing is a microcosm of what's happening in government and what's happening in society and how liberals are trying to push us, to push us out of not just what works, but of what is best for all of us. You may think that society needs to be changed, and maybe to a certain extent it does, but not radically, not in the way that the commissioner of baseball wants to change the game of baseball, and not in the way that these Democrats want to change and reorder society to make us more dependent on the state, more beholden to left-wing values, and more economically crippled by reckless democratic spending policies. So yeah, the changes that are going on in baseball, the changes that are being proposed by baseball, yeah, they may not necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things. It may only be a game, even though one like myself that is our our beloved game. But make no mistake about it, that baseball is acting, as Democrats are, in a microcosm. There is no difference between baseball changing the game, attempting to change the game, and the way the Democrats are trying to change how we run elections, how we define our personal relationships, how we define the family, and how we define the role of government. Make sure that you're paying attention to those changes, both inside the game of politics and outside the game of politics, because those, they will ultimately affect us all and may radically change the nature of our national association. I want to thank you very much for joining me on this week's episode of The Air Raid. Be sure to check out all of our Red Maryland Network programming. Uh, on a special, another special Wednesday episode this week, Greg and I will bring you uh, the flagship Red Maryland Radio. Saturday, Greg will bring you a new episode of The Conservative Refuge. And uh, there will be no episode of The Air Raid next Sunday. So there'll be a week off from The Air Raid. Um, be sure to go ahead and uh, stay tuned, though, to the Red Maryland Network, the home base for all things Red Maryland. Go to redmaryland.com. Make sure you are following the website. Be sure to subscribe to Red Maryland Network programming on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and Google Play, and have shows like this one automatically downloaded to the device of your choice. Don't forget that this week's episode of Red of the Air Raid rather is brought to you by Brad the Banker, uh, BradTheBanker.com. Brad roars at Howard Bank, giving conservatives an opportunity to save a few dollars for home purchases, refis, FHA loans, VA loans, uh, refinancing. Brad Roars, bradthebanker.com for more information on a conservative helping conservatives save a few dollars. Please also know that this week's episode is sponsored by the Montgomery County Republican Central Committee Convention, which is happening on Saturday, February 23rd at the Hilton D.C. North in Gaithersburg. Be sure to join WMAL's Larry O'Connor, 
Governor Hogan will bring up a special message and Delegate Neil Parent talking about redistricting. The event is free. They do ask you to RSVP mcgop.com slash convention2019 for more information. And of course, uh, you definitely need to make sure that you are uh, following us on social media. Let's get on Facebook, facebook.com slash redmarilyn. We are on Twitter at redmarilyn. We are on Instagram at redmarilyn. Be sure to like us there and invite your friends, family, neighbor, colleagues, co-workers, co-religionists, in-laws, and outlaws to follow Red Marilyn and be sure to share Red Marilyn content with your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues on your Facebook wall, on your Twitter feed, on LinkedIn, on um, Nextdoor, and make sure that folks are getting the good conservative content that they need to be informed. And of course, you can contact us at any time. RedMaryland at gmail.com is how you can do that. Or call us or text us on the Red Maryland Talkback line, 410-205-4875. That's 410-205-4875. We will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland Network program. Folks, thank you very much for joining me in this week's episode of The Air Raid. Be sure to check out all of the Red Maryland Network content and stay tuned to RedMaryland.com, the home base for all things conservative in the state of Maryland. For everybody here at the network, Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to The Air Raid. I'm Brian Griffiths. Good night, and God bless. Hi, friends. This is Brian Griffiths for Brad the Banker. Our friend Brad Roars is a conservative who wants to work with conservatives. He does home purchases, loans, refinances, rehab loans, VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loans. He does this working with Howard Bank, Red Maryland's banker of choice and the place that we do all of our business. As I said, Brad Roars is a good conservative who wants to make sure that fellow conservatives like him can get good loans, good financing, and save some money. If you want to get in contact with him, visit bradthebanker.com or call him directly at 443-876-2846. Again, that's bradthebanker.com or 443-876-2846. Bradley Roars, a banker who wants to help conservatives get into the home of their dreams and save a few dollars. You won't be disappointed.